It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Ajua Tenkrama Domina. And coming up over the next 90 minutes. I direct that the business committee should reschedule the issue for next week for us to finally take a decision on the budget. The budget... The Speaker of Parliament, Alban Bagbin, backs the minority position on the approval of the 2024 budget. Meanwhile, the MPP MPs boycotted today's sitting, forcing the approval to be pushed to Monday. Also coming up, mobile money agents to limit the amount of cash out that can be allowed to 1,000 cities per transaction. We'll seek an explanation from them on why. And later on Eyewitness News, as the National Media Commission, NMC, directs the National Communications Authority, NCA, to take Onya TV and FM off the air over unprofessional practice, we'll hear the company's defense plus other industry players. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... Stakeholders in the financial sector hope for increasing cash reserve ratio will stem local currency issues. That's in 50 minutes from the City Business Desk. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a host of affiliate stations. My name is Umaru Sandamadi here with Ajua Domina, who brings us our first story. Ajua. The Speaker of Parliament, Alban Bagben, has directed the approval of the 2024 budget to be rescheduled for Monday, December 4, 2023. The decision was taken after the majority caucus abandoned Parliament on Thursday, November 30, before the Speaker's directive the majority in Parliament urged the minority caucus to support the approval of the budget to enable women have access to affordable sanitary parts in ensuring menstrual hygiene. This was after some members of the National Union of Ghana Students, NUCS, presented a letter of appreciation to Parliament following the government's announcement of the removal of taxes on locally produced sanitary parts in the 2024 budget. While receiving the letter, Second Deputy Majority Whip Habib Idrisu called for collaboration from the minority in the approval of the budget. Government is not able to take every tax out, but it must be on record that what you seek to thank the government about, the National Democratic Congress, NDC, is against the removal of the um, taxes on the sanitary part. I said so because yesterday they said they had voted against the budget. And it means that budget includes the removal of these uh, taxes on the sanitary part. As we, the, the majority, know that the budget will be approved and the budget has been approved, we will work tirelessly to make sure that more is done to help uh, women. We understand that it is not your making that need to go through that natural process every month and for you to pay dearly in trying to protect yourself and to be hygienic government effort in removing this VAT on the local manufacturing sanitary part is something that will go a long way to help the women not only that it will help the industries that are producing safe and we call on our colleagues that these women have done nothing wrong and for that matter they should support the budget and that budget include the removal of this VAT on the sanitary part. We call our colleagues to also support the budget because it increased the leap. That is for the old women who are at home and are able to do anything. We call them to support the budget because the budget seeks to increase the uh, school feeding uh, program allocation and other indicators of the economy that is going on well. But for them to kick against uh, taxes on sanitary part for women, I don't know what the women have done wrong to the NDC and they should not do this to them. They should rather support the budget.
Habib Idrisu's second deputy majority whip, but the minority leader, Dr. Kisiela Tufosin, also said the group's opposition to the approval of the budget stems from the imposition of numerous taxes. He added that the minority has already taken steps to ensure the removal of taxes on sanitary parts through the introduction of a private member's bill by the MP for Medina, Francis Xavier Sosu. We in the NDC strongly believe that a tax on sanitary part is an abomination. In fact, the Honorable Sosu, the MP for Medina, had earlier, before the government decided to present a budget, drafted and crafted a nice private member bill to get Parliament to remove taxes on sanitary parts. And the records are there. Aside, aside that, the Right Honourable Speaker has made public pronouncement on the need for Parliament to remove taxes on sanitary pad. In fact, in the words of the Speaker, this is a serious matter and every member of Parliament must take it seriously and support the private member's bill from Honourable Sosu. So I can assure you that we, the NDC members of Parliament, are fully committed. In fact, before the government decided to go this path, we had earlier on expressed our dismay and surprise about the fact that the government is failing to remove these taxes. Our opposition to the budget has nothing to do with this sanitary part. In fact, if I have my own way, Parliament will consider and get Sosu's bill approved ahead of the budget appropriations and everything else because his bill is ready and clearly we will do that to ensure that that is done. Our position to the budget has to do with mountains of taxes that this government intends to impose. We are not talking of reliefs, we are talking of imposition of new taxes including tax on textbooks, VAT on stationery, VAT on financial services. Today, when you go to your bank and ask the bank to conduct a transaction on your behalf, you pay VAT on it. To the extent that if you are a real estate company and you intend to sell something to someone, a property to someone, you'll be made to pay VAT on. That is our position to the budget. We have said that already the evidence abound that, in fact, the ordinary Ghanaian is struggling to even survive by eating three times a day. Most people eat once a day. In fact, some people don't eat at all. Any additional tax will exacerbate the situation. And businesses are collapsing. So we cannot accept that. So our position has nothing to do with what the Honorable Habib is saying. So clearly, he, or what he's doing is nothing but propaganda typical of an MPPMP. They are born with it. They know exactly what they have to do. And anytime they get opportunity to speak to you, mislead. they mislead you in a form of propaganda. So thank you. On behalf of the NDC minority, we have taken your petition on behalf of Parliament and the Right Honourable Speaker. I can assure you, we will act on this and get and to make sure that before this year ends, before this parliament 
rises for Christmas, this bill will see the light of the day. Dr. Kesiel Atufosen is minority leader in parliament. Let's now listen to Speaker of Parliament Alban Bagben resettling the approval of the 2024 budget to Monday. I direct that the business committee should reschedule the issue for next week for us to finally take a decision on the budget. The budget statement and economic policy of the government for the year 2024 is still before the House. And so the business committee will reschedule it for next week. For is before the house. It's not hanging. <laughs> Nobody has hanged it on any tree or any pool. Or... It's still before the house. It's not. It's not a matter that speaker should be seen or heard debating in public because it's still before the house and the final decision will be taken most likely next week. We have, as noted by all of you, done a lot of work on the review of the standing orders. And that one too, we'll do all we can to place it before you next week. This issue about opinion, ruling, decision, and all those things have been resolved in the new standing orders that will come before you. And so it will stop all this. But the practice before I became speaker, and even during the course of my speakership, is that when you are to take a boy's vote, listening to the voices from both sides of the house. Sometimes it's difficult to decide firmly that either the eyes have it or the nose have it. And so there is an opportunity granted in the standing orders for the speaker to express an opinion. And usually it is said, I think the nose have it or I think the eyes have it. The practice is that that is give opportunity if somebody is doubtful of the thinking of the speaker to raise a challenge. That is the practice throughout. And that was what happened yesterday and the challenge was raised. And so the next process was for us to do a head count. We have gone through this a number of times. And so that was what happened yesterday. It is during the course of the head count that we encountered a challenge. And some members, some members of the majority side walked out. Some members were still present. But there was a lot of meetings and some were standing and talking. And therefore there was disorder. And by our rules, when there's a disorder, the only thing open to the speaker is to suspend sitting. And that was what I did yesterday. Then after that, we resumed. And when we resumed, 
the house was still not in order. And so the best thing is to adjourn, which I did. So I followed meticulously the rules of the house. For members and observers to go out and misinform the public, and for them to run at parliament and the speaker, that one, I leave it to them and their courts. So for me, I'll do what I believe is right to the best of my knowledge and ability. And so this week, we'll try and do everything. But we have a saying, and I'm sure you all know this saying. Oh, you don't want to hear my saying. Yes, deputy minority leader, you don't want to hear minority women. When you finish. We say that the mouth of the old man smells, but what comes out from that mouth doesn't smell. It's wisdom. This one is food for thought. Speaker of Parliament Album Bagwin speaking there, but he has also been urging the Ministry of Education to reconsider its decision for fresh students to report to school on Monday, December 4, 2023. The date, which is for both single and double track students, was contained in the 2023-2024 academic calendar for pre-tertiary institutions in the country released by the Ghana Education Service, following concerns expressed by the minority caucus over the short period for students to make preparations in report into school, the speaker admonished the Minister of Education, Dr. Yao Osei Duchum, to consider the first week of January 2024 and appear before Parliament on Monday to brief the House on the matter. The attention of Parliament has been drawn to the sudden directive of the Minister of Education for the resumption of academic year coming Monday of December 2023. The House calls on and urges the Minister of Education to reconsider the directive by the Minister of Education to students and authorities, including teaching and non-teaching staff, to resume academic work on Monday of December 2023. The House proposes for the consideration of the Ministry the first week of January 2023 for the resumption of academic work in these schools. The Minister of Education is directed to thereafter report to brief the House on Monday, 4 December 2023 on the matter. The House further calls on parents, teachers, non-teaching staff, and students to keep calm until the matter is resolved by the House. That's the Speaker of Ghana's Parliament, Album Bagwin. This eyewitness news on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. Let's go back to Parliament now. Yesterday, I spoke to Deputy Minority, Majority Whip an MP for Tolong, Habib Idrisu, uh, on that position of the majority side, that the budget stood approved as of yesterday. 
Uh, now that the speaker has made the clarification, does the side agree? Honorable, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Um, thank you. The speaker says he leaves you to your God when you dragged him yesterday. I would want to just get a response from you on that before, because I know you were not in Parliament yourselves. When today? Yes, today. All of you, except all of you, except the leadership, were were in the chamber. But I was leadership. I presented the business statement, and I was in parliament. So just two of you or three of you were were in the chamber. Out so of the most important thing is that I was in parliament, and I presented the business statement for next week. Okay, you are the whip of your side. Your duty, among other things, is to ensure that your MPs enter the chamber. Today, when we looked at the TV screens. We only saw you and your leader and deputy leader in the chamber. No other NPP MP was there. Honorable Katie Hammond came and then went out, but he wasn't there as of the time sitting was ongoing. What happened to your MPs? They all were absent. Yeah, majority of them were in uh, other engagements. And majority of them had gone back to their constituency. Mind you, tomorrow is Farmer's Day so that they can be able to participate in tomorrow's activities with their constituents. Did they do this with the permission of the speaker? Um, definitely, seeking permission from parliament does not only lie on the speaker. It has a procedure before it gets to the speaker. They come to our leadership, we have to give the permission before it goes to the speaker. And if speaker elects to even give uh, members of caucuses leave without coming to their leadership is definitely something that's not going to work because if we are planning something and then speaker grants somebody to travel where we don't want the person to travel it will make it difficult for us so your leadership granted all 130 plus mps permission to go to their constituencies today even those who are in greater accra even at a certain point majority of them have come so i think we are now jumping the gun. On Monday, uh, we'll see who was in the chamber and who was not in the chamber. No, no, we are not going to jump the gun. If they went to their constituencies and then they came back, so what happened? Someone who was going to, for and instance... I am telling you that the three of us in the chamber... Sorry, say that again. I lost, I lost, I lost you briefly. I, I, I lost you briefly. Please say that again. I lost you briefly. What I you am say? saying that I'm telling you on authority that it was not only the three of us that were in the chamber. Others had come and gone. Others had entered and they left. So it is not the case that it was only the three of us that were in the chamber. And that's why I'm saying that we are not jumping. Uh, we shouldn't jump the gun and you were alluding to the fact that we are not jumping the gap. Because on Monday, we'll be able to know who's signing or not. If you say Greater Accra, I was in the chamber. The member of parliament for Tema Central, he came. He was wearing white, white. He entered in the chamber. He went and signed. And he left. I was there. The member of parliament for UU was there. Before the starting, the member of parliament for Sitala, a lot of them were around. So if you want to, that's what I'm saying, that when the vote and proceedings come, it will be able to reflect who was there or who was not there. I'm asking the question I'm asking because of what you introduced, the element you introduced about tomorrow being Farmer's Day and your MPs have gone to their constituencies to take part in that. That is why I asked that. I wouldn't have asked this question yes. if you hadn't so, offered this so information. The, the, so I'm the, saying the, that the, you have said they have come and yet you also said they've gone to their constituency. I want to know which I'm one is which. Saying, I'm not saying that all 138 of us were in constituencies to take part. I'm also a member of parliament, but I was in there. I was not in my constituency. So I'm saying that some had gone. We did not have all the full number of the majority, 138 of us, being in our constituencies. Some of us were in the, uh, in, in the others were in their constituencies preparing for tomorrow's farmers' day. 
All right. So it means that today you went with a mindset that there's not going to be any serious business that required the numbers of the majority side. Yes, obviously. Um, today was a, a day we went for business committee meeting, and then when we went, we were just having light uh, business. There was nothing programmed to be serious taken today. We are waiting for estimates from the Minister of Finance so that we'll be able to take um, the estimate on committee level. But it's because of the absence of your side that the headcount had to be deferred to Monday, no? No, the headcount hasn't been deferred to Monday. The headcount issue has been deferred to the suburb of December. That is next week, Thursday. So you're going to, if you're going to do a headcount to vote for the budget, it's going to be next week, Thursday, not even Monday. The headcount is not to vote for the budget. The headcount is to vote for the challenge on the decision on the budget. Which is the fate of the budget either way. It means it's going to vote on the budget, whether the budget has been approved or not. It, was going to, it is a headcount that is going to be done on the challenge on the decision of the approval of the budget. And that's going to be pushed to Thursday? Yeah, Thursday. When is your recess? Two weeks away? No, we are hoping to go through the appropriation bill somewhere on the 22nd of December. All right, which means you have enough time uh, to do the approval on Thursday and continue with the appropriation. Yes, and when I presented the business statement, we did indicate that committees can go ahead and be looking at the estimates uh, of various uh, ministries and government agencies and departments. Then Thursday, when we take a decision on the head count, on the challenge of the decision of the approval of the budget, then they can begin to bring their motion. Then when they take it, they can bring the motion for approval. But until then, at the moment, that's what we said. Uh, estimates that are, are ready, committees can be able to have a look at it. And then on Thursday, when we take a decision on the headcount with regards to the challenge to the decision, then we move on from there. Is the appropriation tied to what will happen on Thursday? No. Even if you look at our laws very well, maybe we should be able to talk to some lawyers. Yes, there are procedures in Parliament and precedents in Parliament, but there is nothing in the 1992 Constitution, there is nothing in the standing orders of Parliament that shows that what the minister read, we should even vote on it. What What is in the constitution is the bill, that is the appropriation bill. That is what we will pass that will give the minister the authority to go and spend. So that one, when committees and various agencies are able to look at it, come with their estimate and we do it, then the uh, minister will move the motion for the appropriation bill on the 22nd. That's when we are looking at rising Senate Okay, so I'm just asking, because of the Thursday, would the Thursday hold up anything budget-related? The Thursday will be a decision day with regards to the headcount, the challenge uh, on the decision. Which, which goes the to the crux of the issue of whether or not the budget statement has been approved by the House or not. Yes, that was challenge. The decision was challenged. Oh, good. And the headcount is going to be done based on the decision of the approval of the budget. Okay. Now, why didn't you put it on Monday, or there is no urgency for that? You know, ordinary per our standing orders, unless otherwise stated, Parliament doesn't sit on Monday. The parliamentary sitting per our standing orders is for Parliament to sit on Tuesday, 
to Friday from 10 o'clock in the phone. But if otherwise, we think we have agent matters. If otherwise, we think that there, are, there is a need for us to sit on Monday. That's when we sit on Monday, but ordinary parliament doesn't sit on Monday. Was today's adjournment to Monday or Tuesday? Today's adjournment, um, in fact, when we presented the business statement, what we programmed, we programmed Monday to be part of the days that we are going Good. To so is the reason I asked you for Monday, I, I'm very well aware that you do not sit on Mondays, but if you adjourn today to Monday, it means you're going to sit on Monday. And my question yes, is, Monday, why yeah. didn't you do the issue of the headcount? Why didn't you schedule it for Monday? Why do you push it all the way to Thursday? Is it mean? Is it to mean that the headcount is not important to you? It's not urgent to no, you, the business are, committee? No, there are other uh, issues that parliament need to handle. That It doesn't mean that the headcount is not important to us. It is, but we are actually just uh, handling um, other issues. And then, like I rightly said on Thursday, that is what we have agreed. So what that issues are you going to be handling out. from Monday, for which reason you had to even sit on Monday, which is an unusual sitting day? But when you look at the business statement that was adopted, we have scheduled a lot of uh, questions on Monday that ministers need to respond there are concerns from members' constituencies of which they have written questions. But because of we were in the budget period, if you observe the time we started the debating of the budget, we have not been able to give ministers the opportunity to respond to questions. And it is piling up. So we have to create a room and opportunity for such things to be responded to. Did you make room for the controversial ally between Monday to Thursday as well, or that would happen after Thursday? Which ally? The ally on the importation of uh, the restriction on importation of some some goods by the trade minister. Uh, and to to for that one, uh, we just looking at the time frame. Even if it is late, it will not be mature before Parliament rises. So it is now for us to be able to um, look at the options available to us. But it has not been laid as of today. Even if it is late on Monday, and you look at the law, it will not be matured until Parliament rises. So we have to be able to look at it properly. From how, from what you've just said, and there's no way you're going to continue sitting after 22nd. And even if you continue to sit after 22nd, it will still not reach the maximum days of maturity. What that means technically now is that the ally is moot, at least for this. Uh, is it, do you call it session or sitting? Um, for this session. I, have, I haven't said that. This is your analysis. In Parliament, we are a master of our own law. We should be able to, that's why I'm saying that if there are other options, we'll be able to talk. We'll sit down and see okay. other options. But there's no plan to lay it between Monday and Thursday or Friday next week. Laying of papers is a decision of the government business. So when we get there on Monday, we'll decide whether we want to lay it or not. Because um, the day it was going to be laid, there was uh, concerns raised, and those concerns were to address certain issues. The minister have already engaged some of them. Some of the uh, changes that they're supposed to do, I think, have been done. And for that matter, Monday, when we look at the full document and we think that it is proper for us to do it, then we will do it. Talking about maturity of instruments, I'm told that the instrument on the creation of the constituency for the people of Central Kofi, Akpafu, Lolobi, and uh, Likpe has matured and that the Guan constituency has been birthed. Is that correct? Um, I think uh, that should be the case. But until then, 
uh, Electoral Commission, even today on business statement, we were billing for them to come. We need to have some engagement with them. But if the LI, like we, uh, you rightly said, have mature, so shall it be. So that we'll be looking at 276 consensus. Finally, yesterday when I spoke to you and your other colleague, you were divided on whether or not the budget had gone through. From the Speaker's pronouncement today, what he said yesterday was an opinion which is not necessarily the law, and it was the reason that he, he agreed to do the head count. Technically speaking, and you are leader of the House, the 2024 budget has not been passed, has it? The 2024 budget or economic statement of the government has been approved today. If you want, get one of your correspondents to check on the vote and proceedings of yesterday. Yes, the vote and proceedings of yesterday um, will be able to tell you exactly what happened. So they will say that the motion number listed for the approval of um, the economic uh, statement of the government. The question was put and agreed on, but the decision of the speaker was challenged and then the head count was halted when some members of the majority walked out. That is what has been captured on the vote and proceedings of today. If you get a copy, you see that is exactly because agreed on. The so, 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 I, so, if I, I were to ask I, you I, I to give to... me a headline, what would be your headline for the status or the fate of the 2024 budget? Uh, a headline out in what? I don't get it. Are you trying to say I should give you a headline? I remember you were, you were. I remember, media. I remember you were once a journalist. So I'm just tapping into your media cap to ask you if okay, you were. So, 20, okay, I'll give you the headline. 2024. Uh, budget approved. Minority rule challenge speaker's decision. <laughs> That's a very long one, but let's leave it here. No, Thank you. 2024 budget approved. <laughs> Minority challenge speaker's decision. Which makes the approved budget unapproved. <laughs> but anyway, let's no, leave it here. approved. Decision challenge. This, this, colon. So you put a colon there. Decision challenge. Uh, you said decision challenge. Let's leave it here. Thank you so much for speaking to us. That's Honorable Habib Idrisu. He is Member of Parliament for Tolong and Deputy Majority Chief. With this eyewitness news on 97.3 CTFM, we are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka, in Accra. Let me bring some of your messages that are coming through. Akapol Jr. in Hafumim says, why is the opposition bent on pulling the legs of the government? Which economy are they going to manage should the economy collapse? Zelis Duane in London says, it's a shame to walk away from your own budget. Francis says, must our parliament be dramatic anytime it comes to approving something? What an eighth parliament. General Otega says, uh, it's a shame the MPP is avoiding its own budget. This is a vote of no confidence in the Akufado and Baumia government. The economic policy is uninspiring and will be counterproductive. What a shame. Brilliant Fahad in Okujato Central. Okay, Brilliant Fahad Ibn Okujato from Central Tong says it's very obvious the majority caucus in parliament doesn't have the numbers, so they are playing delay tactics. Majority staging a workout from their own budget. Totally disgraceful. Um, you can send your message to 0549-986-996. We return with more. Please stay. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. Let's talk now about the professional conduct of media practitioners.
and the regulations on same. The National Media Commission has been on a running battle with uh, Onia FM and Onia TV, members of the Media General Group, over issues that the NMC, the National Media Commission, thought were unprofessional, insightful, and so on. That back and forth has ended in the NMC writing a directive to the National Communications Authority yesterday, saying to the NCA to switch off Onia TV and Onia FM or take them off the air. As of the time we are speaking to you, those platforms are still on air. But lots of issues have been happening since then. Because Onia FM and Onia TV, there is a legal issue and there are also responses that have come up. Ajua has the story for us. Ajua. The Ghana Journalists Association, GJA, has disclosed that it is currently investigating a petition by the Military High Command against Onya FM and Onya TV for alleged misconduct. This follows a request from the National Media Commission to the National Communications Authority for the suspension of the authorization of the Accra-based media firm, citing, among other things, alleged harassment of the Chief of Defence Staff and other military commanders. Speaking at an engagement with the Chief of Defence Staff in Accra, the President of the GJ Albert Junfo said the matter has been referred to the Ethics and Disciplinary Council. The military command petition has petitioned the GJ on some issues uh, relating to Onya TV, and we, the GJ, by the constitution of the association, uh, chapter 40, 41 and 42. Uh, yes, uh, chapter 40, 41, 42, um, gives us the authority to refer said petition to our ethics and disciplinary council, which is established uh, by this constitution and that same chapters I mentioned. So we have referred the complaint to our ethics and disciplinary council. Comrade Kwesi Prad is a member on that committee. So they were here and they were part of the meeting we held with the military command. We will wait for recommendation from this council on the petitions uh, which we will investigate. Um, they, 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 know, they know how to go about it. They are, these are experienced veteran journalists. So we don't want to show them what to do. But I believe that they will do the right thing. And once we receive the recommendation, the GJ will make our position known to the public, as well as the military command on this. Aside that, we also want to commend the military command, which is the CDS, for its resolve to reprimand reckless soldiers. Let me put it out, reckless soldiers. And also, uh, just recently, the resolution of the Obwasi, there was an incident of Obwasi involving uh, a GBC, yes, with Nicholas Ose, GBC regional correspondent, uh, one Nicholas Ose Usu. Albert Jumfo is the president of the Ghana Journalists Association. Let's go on the phone lines now and speak to the Ghana Independent Broadcasters Association, Giba. Cecil Sunkwa Mills is the president. Sir, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you. I'm, I'm sure you were not in copy uh, in the various correspondence between Onya FM and Onya TV on the one hand and the National Media Commission on the other, but I'm sure you have followed uh, the back and forth. 
What do you make of it uh, being an association that protects broadcasters in the country? Uh, thank you. So um, I think uh, you, you're just like you have said, um, from yesterday we we got a wind of some happenings and we begin to, uh, we, we started to gather the documents that have been written. Unfortunately, as you said, we're not copying, but we have put it together. And uh, we have, um, in fact, we still have not finished the meeting. We meant to um, come up with a release today. Uh, we also have um, an ethics committee that is meeting. They still are in focus now. And uh, if we, on the surface of it, I think the major issue was about the use of specific due process uh, by the NMC and getting to the point where we are now, which is uh, quite a drastic uh, um, direction uh, that we think. Um, and we believe we should have used there were some opportunities uh, within uh, managing such an incident that uh, the NMC may, may not have looked uh, as per the letters you know, from O'Neill that NMC has not run through the clear procedure. So we're gathering uh, information from both sides. And uh, we have had a conversation also with uh, the DGA and Primpact and uh, just to ensure that we also have a joint uh, position. But I think uh, the direction we've, uh, we've headed now is probably not what we would have wished to have happened on both sides. Do you plan to play um, a mediation role in this, or you can only observe and advise? Um, from, what, from what I am saying uh, right now, it means that we actually are in the process of trying to mediate. But the mediation, um, there's already an instruction to NCA. Um, would that instruction be reversed? Because if that instruction is not reversed, NCA simply has to press a button and these stations would go off. I, I think uh, we should allow us to see what happens. And uh, as we, we, go, we, we, we go on, um, I know tomorrow is a holiday, but we will still... Uh, continue to work and uh, see what we can do. So you're positive that you can come up with something? Well, we will, we will have to mediate to ensure that uh, there's uh, complete fairness. I think uh, if you would remember, um, uh, maybe about a month ago, when there was actually the launch of uh, a monitoring platform, uh, if you do remember, by between the NMC and the NCA, and of which um, one of the basis for managing uh, and detecting such infractions should they happen. Uh, they were using uh, some technology, which is actually monitoring what's happening. And we were actually part of this exercise. Um, we were there with the GJA and Primpark and Giba, uh, uh, and we gave our support to the monitoring of this. And then there was a discussion at that point about how such infractions should be managed. And uh, I think the suggestion we gave in our conversation was that um, we know that the committee that's from the NMC, which is supposed to look at this. But I, I remember I did tell the NMC to look at, even if you can bring in other state parties, which I believe uh, the law allows that to happen. 
so that we do not get to the point where uh, it may look like it's swinging in a particular direction or other. But if we miss that step, then we have a bigger problem. But I believe that uh, all the parties uh, would will will, will allow some mediation, not just from us, but also with the GJA and PrimPAC, and uh, we will come to uh, uh, hopefully a good, a, good, a good outcome. In, in doing the mediation, um, what is your take on unprofessional broadcast? Well, the NMC says what the media house did was very unprofessional and went ahead to even say that nobody will miss those media or that media platform because what that media was doing was, was not appropriate, was unlawful, and was not even ethical. Do you hold the same view and... Would, would you deal with the media house involved and perhaps admonish them, or you hold a view to the contrary? Um, you, you, would, you would realize that as GIBA, we also have a code of uh, conduct that we operate. And the code of conduct specifically states and finds some of the material, as, as they, they have mentioned, may not have been appropriate. But that's why we've handed this to the ethics committee of uh, on, on uh, the ethics subcommittee, who also looks specifically at the issues. But you will find that in the response, if I you, you saw the letter from Ponia, they actually um, were more focused on due process. There was not, and they wanted an opportunity to to have a presentation, and they said they did not get that. We need to find out why they did not get that. But the issue was not focused on uh, justifying that the content was appropriate from the letters that we have read. So I think uh, we will focus on the point of pain, which seems to focus on the due process for correction. We just think uh, the NMC missed the steps. So I think that would be the focus. But the content, but if you look at our code of conduct, and that's the same for the ethics committee, I'm sure they will come out with the recommendation of the quality of uh, the content which uh, was taken as offensive. Thank you so much for speaking to us. That's Cecil Sunkwa Mills. Uh, he's the president of the Ghana Independent Broadcasters Association. Give a desire witness news on 97.3 City FM. Let's go to mobile money vendors now. And the Mobile Money Agents Association has issued a statement in which statement it says it's going to introduce some new rules in relation to cash out. Evans Otunfo is General Secretary of the Association. Evans, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you. You are restricting cash out to 1,000 cities per transaction. Why? Yes. Uh, good evening and thanks for having me and appreciation to your outlet for making our concerns known and our intentions also known to uh, the general public. Um, the purpose of this action uh, was necessitated by the fact that uh, the very businesses that we have all invested in, uh, there are several factors that are actually burdening the progress or the very reasons why we came into the business in the first place. Uh, one of them is um, the cost of assessing facilities from 
the bank, which is very high. Uh, then again, other policies, including taxation, uh, the various MMPs, I mean, uh, permits that every year is subject to an upward uh, renewal. Uh, then again, the cost in hiring someone to manage the business for you, uh, utilities and other issues relating to the business like fraud and uh, robbery uh, cases. And then for a fact that we have been in business for the past uh, 13 years, that we have not experienced any upward reviews in terms of, I mean, the commissions that are paid to agents. Having said this, we have tried every, uh, I mean, opportunity to seek regrets to our concerns. And this started somewhere uh, last year where we have engaged all the telcos, including the regulator and other relevant uh, players within the industry, just to draw their attention to issues that are affecting um, the business. But it all appears that uh, we are not really getting to the end of the tunnel. And so a week ago, we have served notice to the stakeholders that effective 30th of this month should the sectors could remain the same. Then 1st of December, we are directing all our agent touch points that any withdrawal that will come to the outlet, the maximum that we expect them to give out to customers should be 1,000 domestic per uh, cash out. We have been, I mean, incurring so much cost in the business. Should I withdraw currently 5,000 Ghana cities to you, the profit that comes to me, the agent, is just four, four Ghana cities. And if I withdraw 1,000 to, it is the same for Ghana cities uh, profit that comes to me. And should I go to a bank to go and withdraw, let's say 10,000 Ghana cities, and just come back to come and save you, and my transportation is, let's say, 20 or 25 Ghana cities, and I will draw all the 10,000 and get only a profit of four Ghana cities. In the first place, I have run at a loss. I have, I'm not came to uh, reasons why we are calling uh, all customers to effective tomorrow. Make sure that should they visit any of the agent points and the agent is asking them that I can withdraw at a goal, which is 1,000 Ghana cities for you. This is the, the reason why. And if the customer feels that you want to, the 1,000 Ghana cities directive that we are, I mean, communicating, we are asking the agents that whatever the number of times that the 1,000 cities will be withdrawn within 5,000, the agent should just calculate the, the the charge or the profit that will, which will be um, uh, 20 Ghana cities, the agent is supposed to have the customer aware so that the customer will pay that additional cost and then give out the 5,000 cities instead of making a profit of four cities. Now the agent will be making 20 cities and that makes sense and it will improve the welfare of our members. Who can solve this problem of yours? Yes, um, I mean, all the players within the industry, including the regulator, the Bank of Ghana, telcos, 
uh, the fintech people that very soon this action will also uh, be translated uh, then on several locations. And I think 1st of July, there was supposed to be um, some slight review in terms of the, ca- the cash-out cap, which is currently 1,000, will be moved to 2,000 Ghana cities, which MTN, for example, Mobile Money Limited, uh, has been on record to send notification to all customers on the mobile money platform that effective 1st of July 2023, we are moving the cash out from 1,000 to 2,000. But less than 48 hours, MTN has to issue a backtrack, I mean, notification to consumers without any engagement with the association as to what has necessitated a U-turn of, I mean, a decision that both parties, the and then the telcos have taken. There was no communication given to us. All that we saw in the media space was that the decision that we have all taken, MTN has backtracked on it. And we are giving the telcos three months to look at the issues that has necessitated the, I mean, the rescinding on the action that we have all agreed. And it appears that as of now, we have not heard anything from the enemy that the decision is indefinite. And so if that is, we must also make sure that what whatever factors that are affecting the economy is equally affecting the business of mobile money agents. And so we cannot continue to give services at this um, free level. Someone is just telling me that your agents have already been charging customers for this service that you are talking about. And so what's the well, point? Well, well, so if that is the case, this is just to come and cement the the, the action that is currently ongoing. So we, as an association, we have now made it an official communication from the union to all agents across board. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Thank Th- you very much. That's Ev- Evans Otun for his General Secretary of the Mobile Money Agents Association. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF and one of the other stories we brought you tonight the um, running battle between the National Media Commission and the NMC. Samonati George is Member of Parliament for Ningo Pram Pram. He's a member of the commission and he says, as a commissioner of the NMC representing the minority, I uphold the tenets of the independence of the media. The NMC must be a proactive force in the protection of media rights. These rights must be enforced using due process. I cannot in good faith say that NMC has followed all the due processes in this matter. There are certainly issues Onya has to answer, but two wrongs do not make a right. So that's the lion roaring from Ningo Pram Pram on NMC and Onya FM. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. 
Time now for the City Business News on Eyewitness News brought to you by GCB Bank PLC. GCB Personal Loan, make that big move and dream a reality. My name is Ajwatin Kramar Domina. The details now. Currency analyst Courage Booty says the move by the Bank of Ghana to increase its cash reserve ratio for total deposits from 14% to 15% will, among other things, mitigate challenges faced by the local currency during the festive season. Beginning today, commercial banks Banks are expected to hold their cash reserves for total foreign deposits in Ghana cities. This, the central bank explains, will help address excess structural liquidity conditions in the market. Courage Booty shares the possible impacts this directive could have for both the government and the banking sector. The, the first impact is that they are able to mop up CD liquidity from the market without paying the cost for it by increasing the rate from 14 to 15 and then changing the currency denomination. It means that for all the dollar deposits, which amount to about 51 billion in CD terms, previously you would have held the reserves on that, the ICR on that in dollars. But because you are required to do that in CD, the total impact of the adjustment means that they are mopping up about 10 billion uh, from the system, which they wouldn't have to pay any interest for. It helps Bank of Ghana's objective of anchoring inflation expectations, but uh, they will do that at no cost, at least for that component uh, of additional uh, cash they had to deposit with the Bank of Ghana. That's sorted. But with the change where dollar reserves are no more held in dollar or, or foreign currency, but then will be held in CD, they're also re-injecting some $750 million or thereabouts uh, dollars into the system that should help anchor the CD's uh, stance or the depreciation trend we are seeing now to help maybe moderate it a bit around the yearly tight season. Carriage Booty further explains that this decision will equally affect the Treasury market as government continues to rely on the money market as an alternative source of borrowing. The policy has an opposite effect on the Treasury. They have been borrowing a lot on the market and we've seen rates declining in recent times because, one, inflation is declining. The expectation is that inflation will fall further, and so yields are correcting alongside, and there is so much demand on the market because the uh, banks are very liquid. But then with this change now, banks will be focusing more on meeting this liquidity requirement, regulatory requirement, as opposed to rolling over their T-bill maturities. So the liquidity the banking system has will be mopped up, one, and, and two, the banks will be focused on finding liquidity to meet uh, the regulatory change now as opposed to investing in T-bills. So it may mean that the Treasury uh, bill auctions may begin to experience under subscription at least for this one coming up today. You heard currency analyst at GCB Capital Limited, Carriage Booty. Now, a quarter of a million persons were unemployed and food insecure in all four quarters of 2022. Also, over 500,000 persons in the labor force were unemployed and multidimensionally poor in every quarter of 2022. This is according to the 2022 Quarter 4 Labor Statistics Report released by the Ghana Statistical Service. The fourth quarter unemployment rates show a higher rate for females compared to males and higher in urban areas compared to 
to rural areas. The report further indicates that all regions except for the Greater Accra had more than half of unemployed employed persons in vulnerable employment. The highest rate of vulnerable employment in the fourth quarter was recorded in the northeast with 92.1%, Savannah with 90.6%, and the northern regions with 84.2%. Over 2.1 million persons aged 15 to 35 years were not in education, employment, or training across all quarters. Before we go, the Ghana Institute of Freight Forwarders says the decision by the Ministry of Trade and Industry to restrict the importation of some selected strategic products into the country has the propensity to worsen food and general inflation. In a letter to petition the sector minister, the institute maintains that although the intended legislative instrument could reflect the long-term desires of both citizens and the local industry players, the current form of the ally without extensive stakeholder consultation will stifle the growth of businesses and place burden on the local economy. The letter further impresses on the minister to withdraw the bill and engage all interested parties for its revision. And that's how we end City Business News on Eyewitness News. The Business News is brought to you by GCB Bank PLC, GCB Personal Loan. Make that big move and dream a reality. My name is Ajua Tenkrama Domina. Many thanks for listening. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sandamado. This weekend, the NPP will go to the polls to choose parliamentary candidates in orphan constituencies. That's constituencies where it does not have sitting MPs. One of those constituencies is the Ododododio constituency in the Greater Accra region. Two persons are vying for that uh, particular slot in the NPP, Manaf Soa and Nilante Banaman. My colleague Hansen Ajiman sat with them to do an interview on what their chances are. He started with Manaf Soa. Let's listen. Who's leading Ododododio NPP into 2024? Abdul Soa, the chosen one. Why is he leading and why is he the chosen one? Uh, actually, uh, the people, especially the delegates of Ododododio constituency, they think it's high time they bring someone with humility someone who is coming to unite the party, someone who has served the party for a very long time, someone who has carried the party on his shoulders right after 2020 election up to date. And they have the confidence in me, and they think with Abdulman Soa, victory is assured. You're going against somebody who has represented the party um, in about two previous elections. Uh, do you think that you can't win against him? Automatically, I'm winning against him. 
You know, now politics is about relationship. It's relationship with the constituents is below par. You understand? My relationship with the delegates and the party faithfuls is like a glue. We've bond together. So automatically, I have confidence in the, uh, uh, this, in the polling station executives that they are going to vote for me. You said the delegates want somebody who will unify the party. What is wrong with the unity of the party at the moment? Currently, uh, there is unity in the party with Abdurman Afsoa. Previously, uh, like, let's say, our predecessors, uh, they find this window opportunity of uniting the party. And anytime we go into an election, because of unity, we lose the election. But with Manav Soa, unity is now in the party. What is the difference? And so that's what I want to get. Previously, what happened that there was no unity that led to your defeat? And what is the difference now? Okay. In 2020, prior to the elections, the, the then uh, candidate who, who contested with uh, our former MP uh, happened to, happened to uh, let's say, after the elections, it was not okay. So we decided to at least uh, shy away from the party for a very long time. So the then uh, MP started campaigning on his own with the party, with his own people. But along the line, there was a research that stated that before we can win the election, we need to bring that guy together. But nothing like that happened. And we went into an election with a divided front, and we lost the election. Now, as, as we hear it, it's often than not always a hot spot. Even today, your counterparts in the NDC uh, earlier were at the party headquarters where they were registering their displeasure by means of destroying property. Is this something that you are willing to handle? With Ududududu, when, 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 when everyone hears the name Ududududu, Think something strike like we have the violence, the violence, but the violence. But I don't see violence in the duo. No, I don't see it in the duo. Sometimes it's the leader. It's the leader. If the leader is the calm type, there will be violence free in the constituency. So the violence has always been because of the kind of leaders that the duo has turned out with. If you you have a good leader and your people doesn't listen to you and they tend to do things that you, you don't comply with, and you don't talk to them, that is when we, 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 the violence what strikes. So you think that the, the, the violence should be laid at the doorsteps of people who have been leading the constituency? I'm not, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, if you have a good leader, and he listens to, and, 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 and the followers of that leader listens to, listens to him, then whenever he talks to them, they must listen. But you don't listen. Does that make him a bad leader? Oh, every 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 good leader must have a good corner. You understand? Every good leader must have a good corner. If your followers doesn't listen to you, then you are not a good leader. Is money paying role in this election? I don't see that. Are you paying? I'm not paying. Is your contender paying? I don't know. You don't know? Yes. What are delegates asking? Delegates want the seat. They are tired. They are tired of reducing votes in this constituency. It's high time they grab the seat, and they find me fit enough to grab the seat for them. Is that possible? Yes, it's possible. Let me tell you. Let me tell you the reason why it's possible. In elections, there are two things. Where your stronghold, your stronghold, you must increase your vote, and where you have lapses, 
you must decrease the vote. If it turns out to be that your strong goal, you increase the vote, and where you have lapses, your opponent also increases the vote. There's no way you can win the elections. I'm coming from the stronghold of the NDC, and I'm coming to decrease their votes. Now, as you are speaking now, we all know Kowloon to be the stronghold of the NDC. But currently, this, this uh, let's see, the, uh, this Kowloon now is a swing. It doesn't belong to the NDC anymore. You say you're going to beat your, the NDC here? 200%. How many electoral areas are in order to We have seven electoral areas. How many will you say the NPP... The NDC has a hold of. They has, uh, NDC has, I think they have four. No, they have four, and we have two. So six electoral area, or one is? Seven, seven. No, no, seven electoral area. We have two, they have five. They have five? They have five. And two, and two, how many of these five electoral areas are you saying that you come from for which you are going to battle them for? Military Gono. Military Gono. Koliwoko. Udfadama, which is the... Uh, no, no, sorry, I'm a mumu. Yes. So these three, three out of their five, are places where you are confident of, of 200% confident. That's interesting. Yes. And are you able to keep hold of the two that the Come again. Are you able to keep hold of the two, the existing two that the MPP yes, have? Yes, 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 yes. These two are which? These, these two are, we have, uh, let's say, the likes of, uh, we have Mudo. And Kolodudo. Uh, now, somebody will say that the current MP Nilante Bandapoi, he's decided not to go. You've had Nilante Banaman on the ticket for at least two times. He is known by the people. He's gone through the race before. He knows the terrain, and the NDC is bringing in a new person. So why don't you keep your old face and beat them with it? This question, let me answer it this way. In this constituency, if you are going to win an election, you have to come once and win once. If you don't win, you can't win anymore. In the history of the constituency, any candidate that comes and doesn't win will not win again. Bannerman has been in this politics for a good eight years. When he was coming, he was a novice. Then he was contesting with our former MP, which is Honorable uh, Nibia Ibonte, who has experience and everything. But he was given the nod to contest him, and he won. And he took us into the 2016 election. The same thing I am coming, but I'm coming with different quality. This is a situation whereby the candidate coming, which is Abdelman Afsoa, is coming from the stronghold of the NDC. So that alone is a plus to me. In this column, we have 10 polling, station, 10, uh, polling stations, and out of the 10 polling stations, MPP wins only two and lose eight. That eight polling stations, we lost by almost 1,000 votes, and I'm capitalizing on that, and I'm going to win all the 10 polling stations. Do you know what they call fake fans? Sorry? Do you know what they call fake fans? Fake fans? No. Fake fans is when people cheer you up. Fake fans. Uh, okay, okay, yeah, 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 I know fake fans. Are you not sure that is something you're thinking uh, in your electoral advantage? No. You see, when you've worked to war and you've you laced war with the good people of Odododio, there's nothing like fake fans. I don't have fake fans in my dictionary. They are supporting me from their heart. 
I don't give them money. They think it's time. They need someone who can win the seat. Someone who is coming from the NDC stronghold. That is, that is my key. Because we are going to reduce their vote and maximize ours. The NDC has its own process. Do you think any of the candidates within the process is a match? No, not at all. All their candidates cannot match me. None of them? None of them. Because this constituency is divided into two, the residential side and the commercial side. We all know the residential side, majority of them vote for the NDC. The commercial side also vote for the NPP. But in this commercial side, we have some of the Muslim. You understand? The Muslim community, they are, they are mixed. And we know in Ododudu, not even only in Ododudu, in Ghana, most of the Muslim communities, they vote for the NDC. And me coming in as a Muslim, it's a plus. What about the residential areas? Do you, do you have a lot of, a lot of uh, following within the residential area? Yes, I have a lot of classmates. I have a lot of classmates there. They're like the king kind. And my youthful candidature. My youthful candidature. I've been able to sway a lot of, a lot of the, youth, the, the youth. A lot of the youth, yes. Now, what have you been telling? I mean, I know that this is... I know that... And I, I know that this is a delegate election, and when it comes to delegate elections, it differs what you tell delegates and what you tell um, residents in general. But I believe that in your trips to the communities, you've been meeting genuine residents who want to find out what your message is for them. What have you been telling them? What is in for Ododododio if the NPP puts you on the ticket and eventually the constituency gives you the not to represent them in parliament. In the GDO, one key thing that we have, I have realized is unemployment. Secondly, is low level of education, especially the youth. Third, is uh, infrastructure. For instance, the SMP uh, school, the Salaga market, and the abattoir. These are some of the projects that if uh, we, we are able to, to, to put them in place, can, put, can push this constituency forward. When it comes to uh, the unemployment aspect, me coming in as a businessman at the same time, uh, 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 a youth, I have a good message for the youth, and they have embraced it. That is why they are following me. Uh, are you being favored by the current executives? Are things being whipped in line for you? Nothing has been whipped. Uh, let me cast your mind back to 2016, uh, 2020, uh, when then the executives lined up and followed one candidate. They contributed and picked a form for that candidate. They followed him and submitted the form. But in my question, the coordinators came together and picked the form. When I was going to submit, I went personally to submit it. So I don't see any There's no difference. There's no, I don't see any executive being whipped. Mine is different. But the coordinators are also executives, aren't they? The coordinators are different from the executives. We have 17 executives, excluding the coordinators. But the coordinators are at the polling station level and electra, the electoral area coordinators. 
I mean, there are also executives in their own right within the units for which they control. They can testify to whatever I've been doing in the constituency. That is why they are rallying behind me. But I think the coordinators have every right to support a candidate, but the executive doesn't have that right. But I think that such practice, right, would plunge the party to further this unity at the end of the day, that it may be difficult bringing the other person on board for the singular purpose of delivering victory for the NPP in Ododododio. Uh, if you have the executives being, being swayed away to follow one particular uh, candidate, that is when we have a problem. But with the coordinators, I see nothing wrong with that. Because it's the top hierarchy with the executive that is going to unite all of us together. What percentage are you going to win by? 80%. 80% against Neil Antebano? Yes. What's the winning message for Neil Antebanaman this time? <laughs> I think that the message this time around is um, the people themselves know who I am. They've seen what I'm capable of doing. There is a lot of work to be done in Odoedo, which has been left undone over the years. And Neil Antebanaman is capable of doing it. This is my third time. They should give me the chance and I'll be able to perform and deliver for them. When did you take the decision to, to, to contest again? Um, I took the decision to contest again. Um, in fact, uh, the decision to contest has always been there. From 20, let me put it right. I took this decision right from 2004 to one day step in to lead Udu 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 Udu. And it started in 2016 and it's never dimmed. So after 2020, right after the election when you lost, was there the idea that I'm going to contest again? I wouldn't say immediately because you need to, first of all, <laughs> go back, reflect, look out, uh, look on the fact that uh, you've been there for some time. What was the reason why you lost? Why did it happen? Is, it, is, is there the probability of you succeeding the next time? You look at all those options, and that's what I did. After sober reflection, I realized that MPP do do do. The best bet is a candidate of Nilante Banaman to win the seat for the MPP. So, how long did it take you to come to this realization after 2020 that yeah, indeed I lost the other one, but if I do A, B, C, D, I can't get it right and I can't win the seat for the MPP. In fact, right after the elections. Less than two weeks after the elections, my team and I had audited all the polling stations and we knew where we fell short. Taking the decision to contest again, I think, let me say, after a year, having done some form of consultations, I knew my candidature would win the MPP the seat this time around. But then to take the decision was after um, that was let's say December 2022, yes, thereabouts, that I'll step in again. Is that why people say you abandoned the constituency? I never abandoned the constituency. I think that we need to look at it very well and put it in real perspective. I, I have nurtured this constituency from 2013, and I've never left the constituency. If you take a critical look at what the, things, the events that have unfolded over the years, the last <laughs> activity that the party has performed in this constituency 
barring the two elections that has happened, I mean the pres uh, constituency executive elections and then the presidential elections, the last serious activity the party has done was the delegates conference in 2021. The delegates conference of 2021. And I was an integral part of it. That was August 2021. I was an integral part of it. Let's say in the last year, a lot of things have happened. There is a new group of executives, which I am capable of working with, and I'm going to work with them to win 2024. Put it on record. I am going to work with them. They are not sabotaging you? I don't think they can sabotage me in this. I have experience to maneuver my way to win these elections, and I'm not going to... I can never do it alone. I need a team to do it with. We have a team. The constituency executives are there. We are going to work together to deliver the deal. deal. But then the fact is that after the elections of 2022, where the new crop of executives came in, I think that a couple of them had somebody supporting them into the elections. So basically, they would want to bring the person on board to also try and help him out. And that's what it has been. When people bring invitations to the office of the constituency, I mean, wedding invitations, funeral invitations, sometimes I'm not, I'm left in the dark. I don't know about it. So if you embark on those invitations and you honor those invitations and you think that because you did not tell me and I didn't show up, I've abandoned the constituency, I don't think that is so right. It's a deliberate ploy in a way to keep you in the dark on activities happening? As far as I'm concerned, I, 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 would, I would say that I was never informed of those invitations. And that's what they are using to say that I have abandoned the constituency. But what I'm saying is that I have nurtured the constituency right from 2013. And I've never abandoned the constituency. In fact, those invitations that come to my notice, I honor them. I've been to a lot of weddings, a lot of funerals, a lot of adorings. A lot of functions that I've attended that people have invited me and which I've been to. And they are basing their argument of me abandoning the constituency on these things. What would you say to people who say that you have made a recom because your namesake, Neil Antibanapoy, is saying he's not contesting again and you think that is an easy match for you this time? I, I would never agree with that because at the end of the day, we started this process before he even announced that he's no more contesting. I think the announcement came out some two months ago or less than, less than two months ago. We started this process a long time ago. I, 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 I took the decision to go to each and every executive member of the constituency to tell them I'm contesting about a year ago. So where is the argument that I took the decision because he said he's... In fact, in Odeo at the moment, there is no political name stronger or bigger than the brand Nibana. I'm not bragging, no. But that is the reality. Do you think that uh, the NPP has been, um, in a way, motivated more because of the absence of Neil Ante Van der Poel? Having led the NPP twice, I don't think that is the motivation for me because going into 2020, and the figures are there to show, we were very, very confident of winning that election. And I think our bane was the holiday in 2020. Barring the holiday, we would have won this, that election. Because if you look critically, the constituency is in two parts, the residential area and the commercial area. Now, the voter turnout in the residential areas was between 65 to 95%. 
in the commercial areas, it was between 45 to 65%. So where you have your stronghold? Where I have my stronghold, or where MPP has its stronghold. The turnout was between 45 to 65%. And it was what did us in. It wasn't that. So, Nilante's, um, Van der Poy's decision not to contest again wouldn't be enough motivation. Yes, it gives us more opportunity to annex the seat, but that is not the motivation for which I am contesting. For that matter, the MPP thinks he can win the seat. No. Your contender, um, he says that, so the constituency has seven lecture areas. The NDC arguably are confident in winning in five of these lecture areas on any day. He's saying that three of these five electoral areas are areas that he grew up in, that are areas that he's popular among them. And so if he is giving the nod, that means that he is reducing the NDC's vote in those areas and increasing the MPP's votes in the two areas where it has been winning. It looks like a very feasible uh, strategy. <laughs> That's, that, that should tell you that... He doesn't even know the dynamics of the constituency. It's a clear case of him not knowing the dynamics of the constituency. I come from the English uh, electoral area in the constituency. In 2012, MPP lost English by 3,000 and something votes. In 2012, four years down the line, 2016, when I led the party, we were able to reduce the margin to about 800 and the deficit between the NDC and the MPP to about 804 votes or 840 votes. In 2020, it's reduced further to 700. Are you telling me that because I come from Malaysia, I, I, I could sweep everything? It's not possible. And the fact is that it's not even known in those places that he's talking about. You can go to uh, Kowloon. <laughs> That's where he, stays, he comes from. Yeah, the people there don't know him. And I can speak on authority that Kowloon now is more like a commercial area. The residential, the residents there have moved out. He's a businessman. Oh. If, if businessman, if, the business people in the commercial area knows him. And I'm telling you, they don't. That is what he is touting. They know you. Very, very well. I even belong to some of the trader groups because in 2020, that was what did me in. So over the years, I've not only focused on the primaries, I've focused beyond the primaries. And as I speak to you, I'm, I'm a member of the Nyaminsa Womb Traders Group and a couple of others. And I can tell you, I relate very well with the women around the China Lane, the railways. And, the, and you see, it's interesting that somebody who has never been to any election is saying that he's going to win. He's winning 80%. 80%. And my brother, NDC doesn't even win 80% of the votes in the radio deal. This is primaries. The primaries you are talking about. Yeah, he says he's winning the primaries 80%. Today is there for us all to witness. And I don't think, I am confident I'm going to do about 67%, 65%. I'm very confident. He cannot, 80%. I don't think he even knows the number of delegates that are going to vote. I don't think so. He, he says the facts of the matter and the trend do not support you. And that anybody who wins or the judio wins it on his first attempt. This will be a third attempt. It really, really tells me he doesn't really understand the dynamics because Odio doesn't belong to us MPP. We should face that fact. We needed a candidate that would be consistent, that would have gone 
maybe one election, two elections, for the people to have known the person, the people to now be able to uh, accept the part, the fact that the person belongs to, he is part of them, he belongs to them. NDC has been winning this seat for a long time. Is he saying that we brought um, Nibia Ibonte in 2004 as a sitting MP, he lost as an MPP person. We brought um, Ajay Sowa in 2008, he lost. Then Ajay Sowa, let me, let me address this issue very well. Ajay Sowa, we brought him, he was a Muslim. He had been a constituency youth wing chairman. He had been constituency secretary. He bore the same name then as the person who is contesting now with me. He bore the same name. When we presented him, the NDC told everybody in Gamashi in Odoedio that that name doesn't resonate with any of the clan houses in Odoedio and that that name resonates with clan houses in Teshi. You think you face the same fate as the former mayor? Because Odoedio, we have a particular. The, when you mention your name, we can tell the house that we come, that you come from. Now, are you telling us? Enough. Ni Ajay Soa does not resonate with any of the of the of the families within. Uh, the, 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 the. That is a fact. That is a fact. And I'm saying we faced this thing before. And we are likely to face it again. But our delegates are, they are wise. They know what they're about. And they know that the person that has, that has led them in the past, that has been able to do 35,000 from, from 26,000, that has been the normal margin that the party gets. The, in any election, Apart from Nibia Ibonte in 2004, our maximum votes has been 26,000. In 2020, we did 35,000. And I did 1,020 more votes than our presidential candidate. And you are telling me, I that have been there before cannot win the election, but a novice that doesn't know anything about the audio politics can do it. Yes, and I'm telling you the deficit then was 21,000 in 2012 before I came in. And with the help of my constituents, with the help of the NPP people in Odeodeodeo, we were able to reduce the deficit from 21,000 in 2012 to 9,000. And in 2020, it reduced further to 6,000. And I'm telling you that in 2020, barring the holiday, we could have won that election. In any case, in 2012, the party as, an, as MPP won 19 seats Throughout the constituency, we won only 19 seats. The NDC won 148 seats. Sorry, polling stations. We won 19 polling stations as against the NDC's 148 polling stations. In 2016, led by me, the party was able to do 48 seats from 19 seats. Then, 48 polling stations, sorry. The NDC from 148 dropped to 125 polling stations. In 2020, from 48 polling stations, we were able to do 101 polling stations with Neil Antepanaman's candidature. You are clearly saying that your performance has showed an increment in the performance of the party in their constituency. And not only in the number of polling stations being won, but in nominal votes. In 2016, when I came in, I had 41% of the votes. Neil Antepanaman had 57% of the votes. In 2020, I had 45% of the votes. Neil and had 53% of the votes. And I'm telling you that barring the holiday, I could have won. And that is the reason why Neil and he knows that the primaries is a formality for me. So he knows what is coming at him. He knows that in 2020, he will be embarrassed. In 2024, he will be embarrassed. So his decision was not that he was frustrated with the parliamentary system, but he was afraid to, to face you. That is basically the point. 
basically kneel and say, Father, boy, he's running away from the embarrassment. And I agree with him. The kind of level he's reached now as a politician, he doesn't want to face it. He wants to retire when the applause is loud. And I, it's okay. Out. And I, it's okay. Out. And I, it's okay. Out. And I, it's okay.